0: I'm George Will, and you're listening to the Friendly Confines Podcast with Chad and Ryan.
1: Well, Rhino, the baseball season is over, but now it's award season, and a couple of the Cubbies are coming up golden.
2: They really are, Chad. We got some awards to give out potentially to some of the Cubs players and even their staff. So we get into all that and another
1: great part two interview with George will. And I love it. We, uh, uh, we've got that, 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 that opportunity to talk with George at extended time. You're going to want to listen to it. We really get into some history, get into the history of his, uh, his, uh, fandom as well. So much fun. We're going to talk about, because it's that time of year as well. There's some interesting potential, um, free agent, uh, opportunities or, or trade targets, so to speak. We're going to dive into that. It's, uh, A lot going on in this off-season episode. We got
2: all that and much more coming up on this edition of the Friendly Confines, which starts right now. Hi, everybody. He's Chad Gordon. I'm Ryan Lever. And let's start as we always do. In the first inning, the hardware was Given out on the north side, Chad, big news for Javi Baez and Anthony Rizzo as Javi wins his first gold glove in seven seasons. Kind of hard to believe that's the case. Anthony Rizzo wins his fourth. And the big question, Chad, is Javi apparently said he's going to get a tattoo after winning his gold glove. My question to you is, have you ever won anything in your life, which I know you have, that prompted you to get a tattoo at all? I'll let you start.
1: I've won some things in my time, and no, it's never prompted me to get some ink. Uh, I, I, You know, it just goes to show that uh, because I don't have any ink that I'm, I'm under 30 because I think everybody, the majority of people that live in America under 30 have have some ink of some sort. Um, but, you know, it's a great story for Javi. I mean, this is a situation, you know, I, I felt like, I remember the episode last year, you know, we felt like he was snubbed for a, a Golden Glove, didn't even finish in the top three. Nick Ahmed won it last year. This is really a coronation for Javi, those people that have been watching him know that he is um, an outstanding defensive player, and 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 actually um, plays flawlessly and gets to balls that very few get to. And and that probably was his detriment in years past, where you know maybe he was forcing some throws and some errors that wouldn't have happened with other players, wouldn't even have gotten to the ball. So a real big win for him, and I think a great coordination. I think one of many to come. You know the the Anthony Rizzo story about him getting his uh, a, a, another Golden Glove um, is just. You know, speaks to the the value that he brings to this team, and we kind of buried the lead here. But you know, one of the biggest stories we have for the Cubs is that the Cubs did pick up Anthony's uh, um, option this year. So I think we're going to see Anthony probably win another Gold Glove in this coming year. What do you think?
2: I think it's great to see. I was shocked, as I said earlier, that this is the first time we've seen Javi win the award. I mean, he's so just sure-handed in the field that. It kind of shocked me when I saw this was his first, um as far as Rizzo goes, yes, he's you know just a model of consistency for this franchise when it comes to how he plays in the field he He is so sure handed obviously as well, um and great with his bat, and you and I both talked about it. We assumed the Cubs would pick up his option, and they did uh sixteen point five million is a bargain for that guy, and it's great to know that uh Riz is going to be back with the team another season and as you put it uh potentially win another gold glove
1: so let's move on to the second inning and it is award season we don't know the winner just yet but we do know that uh some Cubs are getting some looks and one that's not a surprise we've talked about it is the National League Cy Young um there are three finalists now Jacob deGrom from the Mets this would be I believe He's going for his third consecutive Cy Young. You've got Trevor Bauer, who's on a contract year, pitched out of his just out of his head, really excelled. And then you've got you Darvish, who did everything that the Cubs really needed and wanted him to do in this Ryan, how do you handicap this race and where do you think you Darvish is going to finish? Well,
2: the money says that it's going to end up going to deGrom again, but I certainly feel like Darvish, if they want to switch things up deserves to get the award and it's crazy to think this chad but he might finish third out of the three it might go to grom bauer and then darvish and take nothing away obviously from you know the way that darvish pitched and maybe some are saying that towards the end of the year he maybe fell off a little bit but his numbers are in my opinion as good as they should be for somebody who you know deserves to win that award i know wins are not something that people put any stock in anymore when it comes to the Cy Young Award which I unfortunately maybe just call me old school I always thought wins was something that you know what you got to win the ball games that you're pitching it is important because that shows that you're you know pitching games that matter for your team Um, but clearly with the new metrics and you know how people kind of lay out the stats wins don't really matter much so that's why DeGrom has always been you know, so dominant with this award, even though his one loss total has never really been much of an issue. So I don't think Darvish is going to win the award, but, you know,
1: certainly I felt like he deserved to win the award. What about you? Well, I think you are old and old school. So I, I, but I, I get it while, uh, you know, why Jacob DeGrom is, is in the mix uh, with, with the wins or not the wins. And I appreciate you putting some weight on you, Darvish, leading the league um, with, with wins. But it ultimately, it comes down to offensive support for that stat. So that's why I think you can throw that one out and why Jacob showed he was so dominant. I, again, it's an opportunity for you, Darvish, to get some accolades. Um, he's going to get a payday, regardless, um, a bump in his salary because he is finishing in the top five. If he wins it, I think he gets an extra 2 million on top of that. Um, I, I have uh, Bauer winning this. I just think that what he's done, um, what he's done in big games, um, his statistical advantage, um, I think that's where it is, but you Darvish, he could sneak in there. He could sneak in there depending on, on the way the votes go, but, um, it's, it's a great honor for you. And again, this is a guy that so many Cubs fans wanted to throw to the trash heap right up until the All-Star break last year. And we've been seeing some, some outstanding pitching, and you hope for the balance of his career, this is just Darvinger of things to come.
2: All right, so let's move on now to the third inning, Chad. And along with the Cy Young Award, we have a finalist for Manager of the Year Award, David Ross. In his first year as the skipper of the Cubs, is a finalist for the MOY alongside Don Mattingly of the Miami Marlins and jace kingler of the uh san diego padres so pretty cool to see uh rossi have an opportunity to win the manager of the year in his first year um i'd have to look at the stats to see you know who's one manager of the year in their first year of managing i don't know if that's been done or not i assume it has been i'd have to uh look at the stats first but with that being said um Do you think that Rossi among those three will be the guy who wins manager of the year?
1: You know, I don't, I, I think, and, and there's a lot, there's, there's a lot to this answer, but I think it's, it's Mattingly because nobody really expected for the Marlins to do what they did and make the second round. Um, And then on top of that, you put COVID and the fact that they had, you know, they had a shell good point. So and working around a lot of different challenging circumstances, um, I think he was tops for manager of the year. I think you look at Jace Tingler with uh, with the Padres. I mean, that's a guy that's got a loaded team of young talent, and he did what he was supposed to do, but didn't couldn't finish when it really mattered in the playoffs. David Ross did a wonderful job of stepping in um, for, uh, for Joe um, and taking over the reins and trying to change the culture and trying to change the approach. And don't discount the fact, that the Cubs did win a division and that's I think why uh, David Ross is getting these accolades um, real quick uh, aside <laughs> oh my goodness can you imagine being Rick Renteria imagine if he actually wins that award for the American League and now he's sitting out sitting on the you know working on his after uh, his postseason barbecue unemployed as a manager it's such it's got to be so bittersweet for him uh,
2: absolutely um, and, and with that being said I do agree with you I think Don Mattingly is the guy who will ultimately win taking nothing away from from Rossi. Um, but yes, certainly the job that Don Mattingly has done has uh, been pretty remarkable. Um, I will say, uh, Joe Girardi won manager of the year with the Marlins in 2006. Um, in his first year as a manager, and uh even did it with a losing record, still the only yeah. man to win manager of the year with a losing record so uh that that answers that question but yeah, I think the Marlins uh certainly exceeded expectations and uh while you said rossi really took command of the clubhouse and I think had was was a very um solid hire for this team and understanding the locker room probably you know as good as anybody that uh the Cubs brought in. It was um, a great first year and and hopefully continued success for Rossi as uh, we continue to see
1: him uh,
2: down the line in managing this baseball team.
1: All right, right let's move on to the fourth inning and just imagine this and it's kind of unique because we let off with, you know, Javi and his accolades at shortstop, but just imagine a scenario where Javi Baez moves over to second base and his good buddy Francisco Lindor gets slotted in. At shortstop, there are reports now that the Indians are looking to shed some uh, some payroll, shed some salary, uh, and it has you know risen to the you know it's it's risen to the the headlines now to say could the Cubs would the Cubs go after Francisco Lindor and really put together what I think would be one of the greatest. Uh, defensive middles uh, in all of baseball. What do you think? Should the Cubs do it? Well, I
2: mean, I, I don't see why not. Certainly, this team definitely needs a jolt, right? And, and we're going to talk about more jolts in the coming innings. But, you know, Francisco Lindor is arguably the best shortstop in baseball and somebody who, uh, you know, can instantly give this Cubs offense some, some major credibility, especially how stagnant they've been. Um, you're going to have to make some big decisions as far as who you're going to have to give up, right? So Nico Horner, Ian Hap, like those are names that the Cubs are probably going to have to uh, trade along with potentially a Chris Bryant if they're going to get a Francisco Lindor. The question is, do you feel like that is uh, enough? Do you feel like that's somebody that you think would ultimately – uh, be someone you can pay long term. These are all questions, especially in the uh, you know the, the the state of the economic turn that we're in right now. Uh, would the Cubs be able to afford that? I'd love to see it. And as you said, you know Lindor on one side and Javi on the other. I mean, yeah, it would be unbelievable. But um,
1: I don't know if that would potentially ultimately be a possibility. What about you? You know. Here's why I think, well, first off, I don't think it's going to happen. We've already had this discussion. I don't see the Cubs, especially with the uncertainties around the finances, around COVID, around all the things we're not sure about, and the fact that baseball is bleeding and hemorrhaging money, and we know that the Cubs want to um, get back under the, the luxury tax in a positive way. So I don't know if they can make that move, but what you talked about makes a lot of sense. Here's why they could make that move. This is Theo Epstein's very final season. With the Chicago Cubs, this is the last of a ten-year run. And if he wants to put an exclamation point on this season and basically says, "Time another one," give me the purse strings. Let me have an Arisco Lindor trade, where again, where you would move somebody like you said, Ian Happ with his small salary, um, Nico Horner, a young prospect who's who's who again isn't making a lot of money, um, but can fill a role for the Indians and provide some excitement. It would be worth it, knowing that you'd have hot. High- second in francisco at third so a shortstop rather so th- it makes sense to me um but it just depends on how much tom ricketts wants to invest and how much he wants to give theo an opportunity to go for it one last time with this core group before you potentially have to break it all up
2: all right well if you think that trade is you know highly unlikely chad How about this one? Joel Sherman, who's a big baseball writer for the New York Post, covers uh, the Yankees and the Mets and has been around a long time. uh, Just figured he'd take some stress away from all of us as we're dealing with the election and uh, put the potential possibility of a Giancarlo Stanton trade to the Cubs. So this is what he's proposing. So we're going to put our general manager hat on here, Chad. He's proposing Giancarlo Stanton to the Cubs along with a multitude of prospects for Hugh Darvish, Jason Hayward, and Craig Kimbrell. So you put Stanton in right field, the Cubs would get, you know, some of the Yankees' top prospects that they could, you know, reinvigorate the farm system, so to speak. And then they would rid themselves of Hayward's contract and Kimbrell's contract, but you'd have to give up Hugh Darvish in the process, Chad. Uh, What would you think of a trade? I know it's not probably going to happen. There's probably a 0% chance of it happening. But if you were the GM and you had the autonomy to make this decision, do you think this is kind of a cool trade for the Cubs to make if you had the chance?
1: I want to know what Joel's smoking. Um, it, it's it's a very outlandish trade. It's one of those what ifs if like nothing else really mattered and you can you can dream big. The, the issue with Stanton, and this is a really big issue, he's in his 30s. What have I always said about big guys? big guys you're not durable and he is the poster boy for not durable big guys he has not played more than i think 120 games in the majority of his career in in the seasons um so that in itself is why this is, would be a huge risk and this this contract takes him well into with the really undurable uh, stages of the mid to late 30s so that's that in itself is an issue now if the cubs can look at this and say we can shed a lot of money here, which they would be able to shed a lot of money with Darvish, with um, with uh, Jason, which has always been kind of hanging over them. Kimbrel, I'm not sure what they think about it, if they feel like that's a move that they want to make, um, because he did see he did show flashes of of, of goodness there. Um, it really hinges on one thing, Ryan: how much, how many, how big of prospects could the, the this a, a trade like this mean? for the Cubs where they could start slotting in some players. The Yankees have always consistently had a really, really solid farm system. And if they have some people that could slot in and that would help out, help ease the big four, big five transition, which we're going to see some transitions here and see some young talent. um, Because right now there's not a lot of great young talent sitting in, uh, you know, in the minor leagues in the Cubs system. So that would be the one positive shedding payroll and then building for the future. So, the one thing this would do
2: is lower the Cubs' payroll, as you mentioned, in 21 and 22. Um, the trade would save the Cubs, I'm reading here, $40 million in 2021, $23 million in 2022, plus $18 million in 2023. And then, as you said, they could potentially pick up some additional pieces in their farm system. i got to be honest, Chad. Giancarlo Stan yes, I, I hear you, you know, He has had a lot of injuries, but man, when that man is healthy, oh man, is he exciting to watch. And to have the ability to watch him play right field in Wrigley and to see him bat for 81 games in Wrigley and to see what he could potentially do from a home run standpoint in Wrigley, if he stays healthy, man, that would be exciting. I mean, it would just be so cool. And as somebody who lives in South Florida and got to see him with his best seasons, you know, with the Marlins, he was, he was must watch baseball. And he still is when he's healthy. Um, I think New York, to tell you the truth, has taken a lot out of him. And I wonder if playing in a city like Chicago would, in, you know, kind of bring him back to the national league sort of pitching and style that he had so much success with when he was with the, uh, with the Marlins. I certainly would not want to see you Darvish leave, but you know, Darvish is on the wrong side of 30, as they like to say, this is somebody who I think, you know, maybe who has a couple more really good years left in him. But if you can replenish the farm system and rid yourself of the Hayward contract and Kimbrell, again, we know this isn't going to happen, but if I were the GM, I'd give it a shot because in my mind, I feel like you got nothing to lose.
1: It's an interesting take. It's unlikely, but hey, it's that time of year where we can start thinking about some of these things. Let's move on to a really fun story. Move on to the sixth inning. And again, another one of the big stories that happened since our last broadcast. Not unexpected. The Cubs chose not to exercise the option for Cubs legend, probably the greatest free agent signing in, Chicago sports history John Lester instead paying him a, a decent amount uh, for him to walk away they could still work out a, a deal but that's not what we're talking about here in the sixth inning I'm sure you've seen it um, uh, our, our listeners have seen it Ryan you're aware of it John Lester uh, reached out um, over uh, the Twitter sphere and basically said go to any of these particular restaurants. I've left my credit card and an open tab and get a beer on me, um, which is a great cross promotion for that particular beer. Ended up running up a $47,000 bar tab. First off, one of the classiest things I've ever seen in my entire life. So I'll ask you your thoughts on that. But on the other side of that, do you think that pretty much says he knows he's not coming back?
2: Uh, no, I don't. I think it's still up in the air, um, but I think it was so cool for him to do that. Now, if I do the math correctly here, Chad, he had a $10 million buyout. So he took that $10 million and spent 47000 My math has it that he still has $9,953,000 left <laughs> over. So luckily he's going to be okay um after the buyout money that you know he still has a few extra pennies left over that he can you know do whatever he would like to do with it um listen it just shows like that's just the epitome of a guy who just gets it right he gets it he understands how much that he meant to the city but at the same time how much the city meant to him and he recognizes that he got a second act you know i mean this is a guy who Went through some amazing times in Boston, went through some difficult times in Boston, especially when he was dealing with his cancer scare. Came to the Cubs, you know, signed that seven-year deal. He, you know, to this day, everyone says, and it's true, he is the biggest free agent and the most important free agent in Chicago Cubs history, Um, followed by Andre Dawson and Ben Zobrist. But John Lester is just a guy who gets it. And Chad, I'm wondering, because, you know, you're a guy who has means, What's the biggest bar tab you have ever run up and have paid for, for a bunch of people. I'm curious. Is it close to that number at all in the $40,000 range? I assume it's close, not
1: my style, not the way I carry myself, but I, I do like to say with some of my best friends, we don't know if we're up a thousand and we don't know if we're down a thousand from all the times we've been together, but a classy move by John. I appreciate it so much um, because it was a, it was a very genuine gesture and it was, you know, if you know, and I bet that John, if he had the means and the ab- ability, he'd love to have beers with with all of those guys. And I thought it was a really nice thing. Um, I wasn't able to take advantage of it, wasn't able to go to one of those four bars in Chicago. Um, but I, I appreciated it. I do feel like it is kind of like the goodbye, um, in a really classy way to say goodbye. The, the, the messages that he had around that made it kind of feel like, you know, I appreciated my time here. It's time to, to move on. I don't think we're going to see John Lester in a, in a Cubs uniform again. Um, and that's going to be OK, because that's how the the business of baseball goes. He is um, trending downward. Um, I would like to see him, you know, come in and, and find a role. And I would also it would be really amazing to see an opportunity where maybe, um, you know, he could come back on a two year deal and, and be and be slotted in as the, as the fourth or fifth. Um, but I also think that there, there's just. You know, if he is going to make a move right now, I think he wants to be a forfeit somewhere somehow where he thinks he could be a part of something big. And so I don't know where that would be if he would go back to Boston or a whole new market to sell new jerseys. But classy guy, classy gesture. um, And John Lester is forever a Cubs legend.
2: Yeah, the 2020 baseball season is officially over. And now we have to wait until February.
1: Only 110, no, 109 days until spring training begins, but it's not that I'm counting.
2: Yeah, no, I don't see that. Well, as we wait for the upcoming baseball season, now is the time to enjoy some Federalist wine. It's an American wine crafted for the only tasting note that matters.
1: Damn good taste. It's a bold choice with baseball or any sport. You could pair with any food you desire, and if you go to uncorked.com and use the code CUBS20, you actually get 20% off your entire purchase. That's at uncorked.com. That's right. And you know what? Chad drinks
2: it. I drink it. You should drink it too. This is Federalist wine. This is American craft wine. So again, go to uncorked.com. Use the promo code CUBS20 to get 20% off your purchase. Must be 21 years or older to consume alcohol. Please drink responsibly. And now for part two of Chad and Ryan's interview with Pulitzer Prize winner, George Will.
1: I would love to know from your perspective, all the trips that you took to Wrigley Field, what does that place, if you could sum it up, what does that place mean to you? And what's one of the special memories you have of walking uh, um, underneath that marquee and into the stadium?
0: Well, it used to be my birthday present every year. My uh, parents would bring me up to to Chicago. Uh, We'd drive Course past the south side, my mother became a White Sox fan just so we'd have something to argue about, and uh, she had the better team there for a while with Chico Carrasco and Minnie Minoso and Nellie Fox and Billy Pierce and all the rest. But I'd come to Rigby Field, and uh, we'd often come on Sundays, and double headers were quite common back then again. I'm talking about the early 50s and not, not these. Make-believe 2020 doubleheaders of seven-inning games. These were two nine-inning games, uh, 20 minutes between the, the games, and of course baseball was moved at a much brisker pace back then. So these would be, you know, two-hour and 20-minute game was, was uh, quite normal. Uh, so you had a long day, but not, not the extravagantly long day that you'd have if you had today's three-hour games back-to-back on a Sunday afternoon.
2: George, what's your take on the future of Major League Baseball, where it's going, and how Commissioner Manfred has been kind of running things since he took over for Bud Selig? I know they're really trying to encapsulate the younger fan to bring younger fans to the ballpark, and there's some slight changes that they're making um, to the game, um, including the potential of adding a designated hitter to the National League. Do you like the direction that Major League Baseball is going in, or do you feel that you know there's too many potential changes that are going on, and that it could potentially hurt the game long-term?
0: Well, you you used the the right word. You said slightly changing the game, and I, although I am what you'd call a baseball purist, I think what we have today is not the optimum entertainment product for the younger generation. The average age of the the Major League Baseball's television audience is 57. It's uh, 52 for the NFL. It's 40 for the NBA. Uh, Furthermore, uh, this is we now have what's called baseball of three true outcomes, walk, strikeout, home run. In in neither case is the ball put in play. The ball's not in play with the home run, it's in the seats. That means we now go uh, 36% of all at-bats are either walk, strikeouts, or home runs. Here we have these phenomenally gifted athletes, Javi Baez, Aaron of the Rockies, Chapman of the A's, standing around because the ball isn't put in play often enough. Tom Verducci of Sports Illustrated and the Major League Baseball Network, I think, said, did the arithmetic, said it's now about three minutes and 40 seconds uh, before the ball is put in play. Uh, that, that amount of time between the ball being put in play. I am w- quite convinced that we have to speed up the pace of play. Now, I'm not just talking about the length of game the length of game doesn't matter if there's a lot of action but there's not enough action let me give you an interesting factoid that i know commissioner manford uh, knows and and ponders in uh, in uh, the 1960 world series yankees against the pirates game seven yankees uh, lose it 10 to 9. 19 runs scored you know how many strikeouts there were in game seven of that world series zero No one struck out. Uh, Furthermore, John Miller, the great San Francisco Giants and former ESPN broadcaster, once watched a kinescope. Tells you how long ago it was. A kinescope of the last game of the 1953 World Series, Yankees Dodgers. Not once did a batter, having got in the batter's box, step out of the batter's box. They stayed in there, and the game moved. The game was brisk. If I could make one change in baseball, it would be to have a rule and enforce the rule that once you get in the, uh, the batter's box, you stay there. Uh, because if we don't move, young people who, are, who live life at the speed of their telephones, the speed of the Internet, are just, just not going not gonna to stay with
2: Major League Baseball.
1: George, we George, have time. Just a
2: really quick follow up on that. You know, Barchi Amati was commissioner of baseball career, that they came to you and asked if you would ever want to be a baseball. Game. Something you ever want to Sure.
0: Yeah. Although, uh, you know, uh, fans think, gee, you're commissioner of baseball, you go to baseball games all the time. Actually, Major League Baseball is not $10, 11000000000 billion pre pandemic. Uh, industry. Enormously complicated television broadcast and and competitive balance rules. So it's a a very complicated business. But the short answer is yes. Uh, it's, It's one of America's older continuous institutions traces all the way back to well there's a reference in a diary of a soldier at Valley Forge in 1777 reference to a game of ball which was how people referred to what was the embryo of baseball at that time. But yes, I would I, I, I would like that. But uh, the owners um, generally want someone who's uh, uh, on their side, as it were. They're paying his salary. He's making decisions with billion dollar consequences. So uh, I don't blame them for going with someone like Rob, who has enormous experience. Uh, enormous institutional memory. He's been involved in, in the labor side of, of baseball for a very long time, for 30 years. And since we have a new collective bargaining agreement coming up at the end of the 2021 season, it, it, could, get, uh, it could get difficult and ugly because uh, the players seem to take the vigor and strength of the free agent market as, and as the evidence of the general health of the game. And after the pandemic and all the losses that teams are suffering, I'm afraid the, pay, the free agent market at the end of next year is going to be uh, bad and the players are going to be in a disagree- disagreeable mood and uh, it, it could get uh, really ugly over the winter.
1: George, we have just time for, for one more question. Thank you so much for, uh, for making the time for us. Uh, it hit me just the other day as a Cubs season ticket holder. It had been a full calendar year since my last game, which was the last game against the Cardinals of the 2019 season. There's another 180 days until opening day, if it does happen, if we're allowed. What are you looking forward to in the future? What are you looking forward to post-pandemic about walking into Wrigley Field? What is that going to mean to you since all of this has been taken away from us for so long?
0: In a neighborhood. This Wrigley Field has a very small footprint. The only one sort of like it is the, uh, the Giants' new ballpark down there on the, on the water in San Francisco. So the idea of coming to Wrigley Field, you, you come to, you watch an entire neighborhood come to life. And people pouring in from the north side, south side champagne, like uh, the, the, you and I did when we were, when we were young. Uh, it's just the sense of, of baseball for 81 home games a year brings to life an organic community. And uh, y- you can't do that without fans in the seats. So uh, it's going to be it's going to be breathtakingly exciting to come back and see this this tribe of Cubs nation
2: come together. George Will, of course, longtime columnist with The Washington Post. His work is syndicated, Pulitzer Prize winning author and, of course, huge, huge, longtime Chicago Cub fan. Mr. Will, we we can't tell you enough how much of a thrill this was for us to have you join us. Of course, you are always welcome on this podcast. We so appreciate it. We hope this offered at least a little bit of a distraction with everything going on in Washington right now for you. I know you love talking about Cubs based on, we love talking to you. So we can't thank you enough. And and we appreciate your time so much here on the Friendly Confines.
0: Well, I enjoyed it. And we'll do it again before uh, opening day, which we hope is uh,
2: early April next year. And once again, our thanks to George, Will, and we are so appreciative, probably, one of our favorite if not the most amazing guests we've ever had we both hung on every word that man said so pretty incredible to listen to the stories that he told and of course the things that he had to say and a nice little place on the north side of course is the book you can get it in um you know the hard copy online it's available Jed and i as we mentioned are both owners of it so you can check it out for sure and of course you can check out both of us on social media. I'm at Ryan D. Lieber. Chad is at the Chad Gordon on Twitter. And you can go to our Facebook page, which is the Chicago Cubs Friendly Confines Facebook page. We Always want to hear from you. Always want to listen to what you guys
1: have to say. Yeah. And, you know, we're going to I think this winter I've decided we're going to do a giveaway. Um, so make sure you are following us on on the Twitter We're going to do that to try to get the message out a little bit more about this podcast. We're excited to go all off-season, bring you the best, the most important. Let's move on to the eighth inning, which is not the most timely news, but it's a fun story. This time of year, I think for many of us, mainly because of, I think, the Facebook memory section on your Facebook, which what were you doing a year ago today, Um, this last week was littered with lots and lots of – you know, people's videos and celebrations at home and, and uh, whether you're in Cleveland, whether you were at home with family or by yourself or whatever you did when that time came. But we just had the four year anniversary of 2016 Cubs World Series Championship. That beautiful, wonderful, soggy at times Wednesday night in Cleveland that turned into Thursday morning at Cleveland. That 2016 anniversary, Rhino, what are your recollections? What do you think about and, and in retrospect You know, what stands out as that that, that underlining incredible memory and moment?
2: Yeah, well, you know the story, but for some of our listeners that may not. Of course, at the time I was dating my now wife and she had planned a birthday celebration for me because my birthday is uh, on Halloween. And so we were getting ready to celebrate. But you and I had been discussing the possibility of me flying to Cleveland for game six of the World Series, which was on November 1st. And I pulled the trigger, and we met up in Cleveland, and it was one of the most magical moments in my life, probably the greatest sporting event I got to go to because it was the Cubs. And you and I got to hang out and watch the game, and you know, you had amazing seats. And I came down around the seventh inning when the Cubs were up big and got to see the last few outs of the game with you. And then I flew back to Florida, watched game seven at home, Um, watching every moment. And it was just surreal. I mean, it was a surreal moment. You couldn't believe. And it was something that, you know, everybody was a part of Chad, If you've lived your life like you and I have as a Cub fan, you, you, you go back all through the years of all the times that you had come so close or the years that you had no chance at all. And all the memories that flood into your system and your brain about, the the Cubs games you had seen over the years and the memories you have and the players, all of that just over, you know, comes you with emotion and it all came to just uh, like a head when the Cubs finally won that world series. It's, it's my favorite sports moment of my life. Um, You know, I mean, the Cubs mean more to me than the bulls, than the, than the bears. Um, They're my number one team. And this meant this championship meant More to me um, as a fan than anything else as a sports moment in my life. Now, I think you're more of a perfect person to talk to because you went to every game, including Game 7. So I'll let you describe uh, what that euphoria was like actually being at the game.
1: Well, you know, for our longtime listeners, they know this story. A really cool thing about meeting up with you in Game 6 um, and that magical night, uh, punctuated by Addison Russell and his grand slam. I mean, it was it was just a, it was just the most dominating World Series series win you're going to see. It was fantastic. It was a lot of fun, and it set the stage for what turned out to be just the most incredible Game Seven. But meeting you and seeing you, meeting up with you rather and seeing you, that's when we decided finally to hatch the plans for this podcast. So for the, you know, the thirty-three thousand people, the thirty-three thousand, you know, downloads that we're up to right now, you know, thank you. Thanks for listening. You know, this all hatched from that time on that Tuesday night where we hung out, you know, for your birthday. Um, you know, I did. I did I was lucky enough to go to all of the Um, postseason games Um, I didn't miss a game at Wrigley Field I I missed I I didn't miss any of the the World Series games Uh, and luckily enough with the games being on the West Coast I was able to go up into San Francisco and Los Angeles as well so it was a magical opportunity Um, to be able to see the whole run it was an exhausting opportunity Um, for my married friends um, you know they said how'd you pull that off and I said well I'm not married so I didn't have to negotiate anything but I did have to get some help from a very very dear friend who watched my pup so that was yeah that was that was really the only challenge and I used a lot of points and miles to do it but that game seven um, I was there with my best friend who was not able to go and see the game on Sunday you know, the first win at Wrigley Field, you know, uh, um, at World Series win at Wrigley Field on Sunday. Um, he wasn't able to go to that game. And so I promised him, so you couldn't go to that game. You got to meet with me on Wednesday night. And he drove over and um, ended up on some uh, with some amazing seats. And we had these great seats. And if you watch the broadcast, you saw, Ryan, uh, you saw uh, Edgar and I a couple times. One time the pitch before. That, that famous Rajay Davis home run that was the, the backbreaker for us uh, initially, and then a pitch before um, Zobrist hits his uh, double down the line. And so just to be there, be around the history, to feel the excitement, um, it was... Incredible. And 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 I'm so excited because I just look at these Facebook memories back and see people um who who reached out as friends because they're excited for us, the ones that reached out and said we did it, the ones that posted things where they they you know talked about their loved ones, the ones that they talked about being with their fathers or their uncles or their grandparents. Just an amazing moment. We'll never feel that feeling ever again. And that's I think what's incredible is is um we it's almost like a drug, right? We're gonna probably chase that high and we may never get it again but it was very special and, it, and I look forward to being in a position to be able to climb that mountain again and watch yeah. this team exceed.
2: I hope so. I hope we get the opportunity once again to do it. You're right. So with that, Chad, let's move on and finish up in the ninth inning. And of course the world series looked a lot different in 2020 because of the world we live in now with COVID and whatnot. And uh, it was played at a neutral location at the Texas Rangers new ballpark in Arlington. And with that, Rob Manfred came out recently and said that maybe for future World Series, he would consider other neutral sites for a World Series. Uh, I'll let you start. Uh, what do you think of Manfred's comments of him even remotely tossing this idea around of having a neutral site World Series?
1: This isn't the Super Bowl. It makes sense with the Super Bowl. You have a week. Or even two weeks rather to get down to wherever the game is being played um, you you have one game that you need to sell out uh, people can travel and and come in and uh, and have it, it's just a unique experience it doesn't work with baseball it doesn't work with the NBA it doesn't work with hockey with with baseball um, part of the lore, part of the love, part of the appeal is. The the stadiums is is you get to host a World Series game. Your season ticket holders and your fans and your community and and the, the businesses around um, the stadium, they're rewarded, you know, for this epic milestone. And so I can't see it being a possibility. Uh, makes sense is if they continue to stretch out this season and weather becomes such a tremendous factor that they have to do something. But imagine the logistics of your team qualifying for the World Series and then two days later, you're playing in the World Series in Miami or San San Diego or some other warm-weather place, it would be nearly impossible for the true fans of that team, which, let's be honest, the Super Bowl is not typically filled with the true fans of that team, but it would be nearly impossible for the true fans of that team to be down there, secure tickets, housing. And again, and with the uncertainty of how many games they'll play, I think this is a non-starter. What do you think?
2: Yeah, I'm on board with you with that. I mean, I just think there's something to be said about having the home team have the opportunity to play four or three games in their home ballpark in front of their fans, having that, you know, home cooking being in the stadium that they're so accustomed to, to play in, Right. That's, what's the home field advantage. That's what it's all about. And, you know, I mean, I get it in football because it's one game and it's an event and it's something where it's like, that one game decides it and leading up to that game, all the games were played at those teams stadiums with their fans. The prize is getting to go like kind of a bowl game. Like we see in college where you get to go to a nice destination to finish in the championship in baseball. It's different to your point. You should have the opportunity to earn the right and play at your stadium with your fans and see all of the fruits of your labor, you know, come together and have that chance to win games in front of your fans in your home city. So I think it's a non-starter too. You know, I really was excited about Rob Manfred when he first came to become commissioner. I was excited because I thought he was going to bring new and innovative ideas and, you know, Bud Selig, it was time for him to go. And ever since Rob Manfred has come into power as commissioner i've really started to question a lot of the decisions he's made and it's unfortunate because i really wanted somebody like manfred to kind of be an adam silver type commissioner where he was going to be popular with the players and the owners and um you know well not the owners i mean he's very popular with the owners but the fans because i think if you can do that and create that sort of bond then baseball just will continue to build into a better and bigger sport and and right now we're just we're just not seeing that so that for me i think is is definitely a non-starter so with that that is going to wrap things up on this edition of the friendly confines again our thanks to george will of the washington Post. we'll talk to you next week everybody for chat i am ryan take care and please continue to wear a mask
0: just the game for i seen other teams and it's never the same when you're born in Chicago you're blessed and you're a field the first time you walk into Wrigley Field
1: hey everyone I'm Jack Gordon
2: and I'm Ryan Lever we're the hosts of the Friendly Confines podcast
1: each week we'll bring you the latest Cubs news from the fans perspective with some of the biggest names in sports.
2: Joe Buck, welcome to the Friendly Confines with Chad and Ryan.
1: Yeah, oh my God, I'm happy to do it pat hughes welcome to the seventh inning happy to be here chad it is len Casper.
2: you got it ryan chad happy to be with you guys the hawk andre dawson
0: what is my distinct pleasure i'm doing fine thank you
2: we're also excited to bring you new episodes as part of the barroom network so if you're a cubs fan or even just a baseball fan be sure to check out the friendly confines podcast every week on the barroom network
0: Hey, this is Len Casper, the TV voice of the Chicago Cubs. You're listening to the Friendly Confines podcast with Chad and Ryan.